You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, the, the, the title of our message this morning here as we, as we finish up 1 Samuel is, we, we've titled today's message, The End. But it's not so much the end of the book or even the end of the story, uh, because really the, the story continues into 2 Samuel. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel are actually just the same book. They're just one and the same book. And so really the, the book doesn't end, the story doesn't end. Really what we're looking at is the end of Saul, the end of King Saul. Now, on one occasion, uh, Winston Churchill had said, I- I'm ready to meet my maker. Now, whether my maker is prepared for the great ordeal of meeting me is another matter. <laughs> well, this morning, the time has come for Saul to meet his maker. Now, I don't know about you, but I- I've learned that-, that generally people die as they lived. Meaning that, you know, if they, if in their younger years, if they were mean and ornery and cantankerous, chances are the older they get, the meaner, the ornerier, and the more cantankerous they get. And so in the same way, Saul died as he lived. He, he, he lived rejecting God, and in the end, he dies being rejected by God. So now as we go back to the first two verses, the question that arises is, is this, what if you knew that you only had one day to live? What if you knew that this was your last day to live? That's kind of the question that emerges from these first two verses. So verse one says again, now the Philistines were fighting against Israel and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboah. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, the sons of Saul. So now as we read this, let's keep in mind that, that for the last 15 years or so, Saul has, has been rejecting God, living in rebellion against God. And so now in the last couple of chapters, we've seen that, that the enemy, the Philistines, have, have, are closing in, they're surrounding, they're, they're coming in on all sides. And, and, and Saul, like, like many, many people who don't cry out to God until, it's, until things get really bad, who don't cry out to God until things get really desperate, well, that's Saul. Saul now, he cries out. But if you remember, he doesn't really cry out to God because two chapters ago, what did he do? What he did was he he hired the witch of Endor and he hired her to try to summon Samuel back from the dead so that Samuel could tell Saul what to do. Now, God uh, allowed Samuel to come back from the dead, but not so that Samuel could tell Saul what to do, but rather so that Samuel could pronounce judgment against Saul. And in that moment, Samuel tells him that he only has 24 hours to live, that in 24 hours, both he and his three sons would be dead. And now, in chapter 31, is the fulfillment of that. Saul and his sons die. And yet, in many ways, we we see that that they died because of, of Saul's rebellion, because he rebelled against God. Listen, he had 15 years. For 15 years, he had opportunity after opportunity, chance after chance to repent, chance after chance to turn back to God, but he rejected every opportunity. And so it brings up the question, what would you do if you knew that you only had 24 hours left to live? Would you spend more time with your family? Or you know, would you, would you, would you make sure that the people you love know how you feel about them? You know, or, or maybe you have like a bucket list. You know, you'd, you, you know, maybe you go jump out of a plane or go swim with the sharks. I don't know. Or how about this? If you know that this is your last day, you've only got 24 hours, would you choose that moment to get right with God? 
Well, now as we look at, at, at Saul, Saul knows he only has 24 hours left, and yet he, he makes no amends. He writes no love letters telling people how he feels, and he makes no attempt to get right with God. Now, it's interesting. Statistics tell us that, that two people die every two seconds. And so what that means is that, is that 102 people die every minute, and that means that, that 6,136 people die every single hour. Listen, the statistics on death have never changed. One out of every one person dies. It is statistically true. Or as Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 puts it, it's appointed for men to die once, and after this, the judgment. Now, there's an old Jewish proverb that says, every man knows that he will die, but no one wants to believe it. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we don't want to believe it. We act like it's never going to happen. We try to put it off. But it's been well said that, that no one is getting out of this world alive. In fact, that's exactly what, what, what Psalm 89 verse 48 means when it says, what man can live and not see death? It's going to happen to everyone. Now, Frank Sinatra, the singer, uh, he thought he could cheat death. In fact, uh, as, as he was approaching his deathbed, he turned to his wife and he says, listen, when I die, it's none of anybody's business. He said, listen, dying is a sign of weakness. It's for lesser people. You got to keep my death a secret. I don't want people gloating. Just bury me quietly. If, if you don't tell them I'm dead, they'll never know. Frank, uh, I hate to break it to you. We know. And the truth is, is, is it doesn't matter how, how much you try to avoid it. It doesn't matter, you know, how hard you try to put it off. I mean, listen, you can, you can eat right. You can work out. You can take care of yourself. You could walk around with a big old pump of, of hand sanitizer, cleaning everything. You could wear like a, a COVID mask 24-7, and in the end, you're going to die. Because Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 2 says, there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Listen, there's a reason there are tombstones in graveyards, because that's what happens. In fact, speaking of tombstones, uh, there's an interesting uh, tombstone in Uniontown, Pennsylvania that says, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake. He stepped on the gas instead of the brake. There's a headstone in Georgia that says, see, I told you I was sick. <laughs> well, now Saul's tombstone probably read, died in rebellion to God. And unfortunately, the tombstones of his sons simply would have said, died needlessly. They died needlessly. I mean, think about it. Listen, I get why, why Saul had to die. I mean, listen, he made his bed, albeit his deathbed, but he made his bed and he had to sleep in it. But, but, but why did his sons, especially Jonathan, why did they have to die? I mean, by all accounts, Jonathan was, 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 was a faithful man. He was a loyal friend to David, and he, and he was a man of faith who lived for the Lord. Remember, Jonathan was the one who, who turned to his armor bearer on that one occasion and said, hey, listen, what, what, what stops God from saving by many or few? How about just you and I go over to the enemy camp, the Philistines, and take on the whole Philistine army? And that's what they did, just those two. Now, of course, it helped that, that the name of his armor bearer was Chuck Norris, but but Jonathan was a man of faith, and yet in many ways we see that Jonathan, along with his brothers Abinadab and Melchishua, in many ways they were like innocent victims who were caught in the backwash of Saul's sin, their father's sin. Listen, this just reminds us, it reminds us not to fool ourselves. Don't fool yourself. Listen, the sin that we're involved in always affects more than just us. It affects those around us. 
I mean, I mean, even, even as, as Saul's sin not only cost him his life, it cost him the lives of his three sons as well. You know, much like a drunk driver. Listen, a drunk driver is not only taking his own life into his hands when he gets behind that wheel, but he's taking the life of everyone in the car with him into his hands, let alone the lives of the other people on the road that he's going to run into. And so our sin always affects more than just us. So Saul, he's facing death, 24 hours to live, and yet he, he does not take advantage of the opportunity to get right with God. And now with that, as we pick it up in verses 3 through 7, we discover the thing, the, the one thing that Saul seemed to fear more than death. Verse 3, the battle pressed hard against Saul, and, and the archers found him, and he is wounded badly by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer uh, saw that Saul, had, that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled and the Philistines came and lived in them. Now, some historical context. We know that, that, that in those ancient times, in, in, in the context of a battle, that, that during the battle when a king was captured alive, then that king would be paraded through the enemy's villages. Every village, village by village, town by town, where people would come out of their houses and fill the streets and they would mock him and they would scorn him and they would spit on him and they'd find all kinds of ways to humiliate him Possible, They would beat him, they would throw excrement on him, they would do anything and everything they could to, to, to humiliate that king. And so therefore, it seemed that the, the thing that Saul feared even more than death itself was humiliation, like, like public humiliation. He's like, that's the worst. I'd rather die than go through that. And so he turns to his armor bearer, and, he, and he's like, you know what? Kill me. I order you to kill me. But it says that, that his armor bearer would not, for he greatly feared. Now, Dean and Kirk in their commentary point out that, that the reason the armor bearer would not kill Saul was because, was because he was probably, uh, and he was afraid to kill Saul, was because of the oath that he took. When you became an armor bearer, you, you, you made a vow to protect the king, even if it meant that you gave your life in the process, which is probably why the armor bearer then took his own life after Saul did. But it's a very tragic story. I mean, in the end, in, in, in Saul's end, he dies by suicide by committing suicide. It's like he, you know, he, he hits the, 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 the lowest moment of his life. He, he, he feels like, like there's no way out. He feels trapped. He feels like, like he'd be better off dead than to go through what's about to happen. He'd rather die than to face what was coming. And, and listen, there are a lot of people who, who, who feel this way. In fact, one study says that 80 people a day commit suicide in the United States. So what that means is, is that an average of one person kills themselves every 18 minutes in our country. Uh, among them was, was a man named Joseph Belka, who, according to Castle Rock Police, uh, killed his wife and stepdaughter. And then after shooting them, investigators say that he burned their bodies in, in, the, in the bed of his pickup truck. And, and then investigators found an 80-minute recording where, where he was expressing remorse for what he did. And, and, and in the recording, he said, I, I'm really sorry that it had to end like this. I, I really am. He says, you know, in, in a couple hours from now, I'm, I'm going to pull that trigger and in my own life. 
And then he says, I, I, I know I, I, I shouldn't have done what I did. I know that, and, and I repent of it, but it's too late. He goes on in the recording to, to say that he killed himself and killed his family because, because there was no way out. He, he was trapped. They were in this deep financial crisis. He said, now we, we, we did seek help. We, we went through numerous counseling things and, and it only got worse and worse. We started with $20,000 in debt and then for some reason we occurred another $20,000 in debt and I saw no way out but to do this. There's, there's a lot of people. That's where Saul felt. Saul felt like there was no way out. A lot of people feel like they're trapped, like there's no way out. In fact, I've been there. I, I know what that feels like. I've shared with you on, on a few occasions my, my past. But listen, as a, as a child growing up, there were numerous times I, I tried to take my own life. The, the, the youngest I was was at the age of seven years old when I first tried to commit suicide. Now, the story is, is, is I was seven years old, came to live with my grandparents, and then after a little while, my grandparents falsely accused me of stealing something that I didn't steal. They, and, and to the point that they locked me in my bedroom, uh, locked the door from the outside, and they would open it once or twice a day so I can go to the bathroom, and then once a day they would throw a TV dinner in there. Now, for the younger crowd, that's just a frozen meal that they would throw in there. And, 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 and then on one occasion, my grandfather comes into the room, takes me out of the room, brings me into the garage, has me stripped down, and then he takes a ping pong battle, paddle and he starts spanking me with it for a solid half an hour. Now, it felt like three hours, but he's, he's spanking me with this ping pong paddle to the point that I'm bleeding. And after a half hour of bleeding and, and, and just being smacked and smacked and smacked by this ping pong paddle, I was ready to confess to anything. And to the point that I'm like, okay, okay, I'll confess anything. I'll, I'll, I, I, I did whatever you, you, you say I did. Just, you know, just, just please stop. And that moment he throws me back in the room, goes and tells my grandmother that I confessed. And then for the next couple of weeks, I'm still trapped in this room and I feel like there's no way out. I feel like this, you know, it's just, it's just gonna be in this room and be a prisoner in this room and be the beatings and everything else. And so it was at the age of seven that I first decided I would try to take my own life. Then there were numerous times as a teenager, times where I'd take a barrel of a gun and put it in my mouth or, 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 or try to hang myself. Now, obviously none of those were successful. But the point of the matter is, is that I know firsthand what it feels like to feel trapped to feel like there's no way out. Now, in Saul's case, I, I, I happen to think that there might have been a spiritual component to this as well. Here's why I say that. Keep in mind, Saul, you know, over and over again, we read that, 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 that he was afflicted by an evil spirit, by, by a demonic spirit over and over and over again. In fact, keep in mind what Saul was doing right before this. What was he doing? He was participating in witchcraft. He was meeting with the witch of Endor. And so I think in Saul's case, there was, there was not just hopelessness. It wasn't just being trapped. In addition to that, I think there was a spiritual component. Now, I think in my case, there might have been a spiritual component as, 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 as a kid facing some of this. In fact, uh, not only you know, did I attempt a number of times as a child to, to end my life, that's how my father died. When I was 10 years old, my dad committed suicide. And, and interestingly enough, uh, his father before him died by suicide as well. I mentioned I think there's a spiritual component. Uh, the, 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 the day or the night that, that my dad committed suicide, I, I, I'm 10 years old. I haven't seen my dad since I was three. He walked out on me when I was three years old. I'm 10 years old, I have this dream. And in the dream, my, my dad pulls up in a white F-150 Ford pickup. And, and at first I'm excited to see him. And, and, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, my dad's come to, to, you know, and he wants me to be a part of his life. And you know, it was the dream that every boy has. You know, you, you're, you're just waiting for your dad to come back into your life. And at first I'm excited, but then something in the dream told me I wasn't safe. 
that I needed to run. So I start running. And now he gets angry and he's trying to hurt me and I'm running. And, and meanwhile, this dream is filling up with smoke. It's almost like fog, but it was definitely smoke because as the dream went, it was getting harder to breathe. And it, and it fills up with smoke and then it ends with, with, with him and his Ford F-150 pickup truck just kind of disappearing into the smoke. And I wake up, and when I wake up, I feel like this evil presence hovering over me, like every hair on my body was standing up on end. Now, the next day, my social worker comes on the scene. I was living in a foster home at the time. My, my social worker comes on the scene, and she announces that the police in Kansas City found my dad dead, that he, just, that, that he, that he recently bought a, a, a white Ford F-150 pickup truck like I saw in the dream. And, and then he, he, he went to a hotel room, connected a, a garden hose to the tailpipe, and put the other end of the hose in, in, in the window of his hotel room, sealed everything up with, with duct tape, and then just went in there and let it fill up with exhaust, hence the smoke. And I, I thought about that dream many, many times, and I thought, you know, what was that all about? And especially that evil presence in the, when, when, I, when I woke up, and, you know, and, and, and what was that? And I honestly think that, you know what? While it's true that God has a plan for your life, it's also true that the devil has a plan for your life. And I honestly believe that the devil would rather have you dead than for you to live long enough to discover what God's plan is for your life. But I'm here to tell you, God has a plan for your life. There's a reason you're here. You have a purpose. And that's why you need to keep going. That's why you need to keep living. That's why you need to keep existing because there is a plan for you. Now, Saul cashed it in and never found out. Saul, Saul gave up. As we pick it up in verses 8 through 10, he, he ends up with a disgraceful ending. Verse 8, The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. So they cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. And they put his armor in, in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bet-Shan. So you might say that Saul lived in disgrace, and he died in disgrace. Now, it wasn't always that way. Remember, when he first started off, when he, was the, when he was first made the king, he was humble. It seemed like he had a strong start, but he had a poor finish. He, he spent his years in, in, in torment. He spent his years throwing spear after spear at David, hunting David down. And now in the end, he himself is hunted down. You might say he lived by the spear and he died by the spear. Chuck Swindoll says, uh, Saul not only lived a foolish life, he died a tragic death. And so now the, the, the Philistines who, who were bent on mocking Saul figure, you know what, if, if we can't disgrace him when he's alive, well, then we'll, we'll mock him in his death. So it says that they, that they cut off his head and then they went and delivered the news, the good news to all the people. Now, scholars tell us that what this means is, is they would have taken the head that they cut off and would have fastened it to a spear and then would have paraded that head through every Philistine town and village, one town after another, one village after another, until they finally came to Bet-Shan. And then they hung the bodies of, of, of Saul and his sons on the walls of Bet-Shan. In fact, here's a picture of those walls. Uh, Amy took this picture last time we were in Israel, Israel back in, in 2019, but these are the ruins of the walls uh, that, that Saul and his sons would have been hung on, the walls of Bet-Shan. But again, the tragedy of Saul's life is that he could have avoided dying this way. It didn't have to end like this. Again, he had opportunity after opportunity over and over again. There was chance after chance for him to repent, and he rejected every opportunity. 
The late F.B. Meyer put it this way. He says, this is the bitterest of all to know that suffering need not to have been, that, that, that it's resulted from indiscretion and inconsistencies, that it's the harvest of one's own sowing, that the, that the vulture that feeds on the vitals is the nestling of one's own rearing. Ah, me, this is pain. This was Saul's own doing. He was reaping what he had sown. A life of rejection ended in a disgraceful ending. And so as we pick it up in verse 11, down to verse 13, this is the end of Saul. <laughs> verse 11. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and they went all night and they took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan and, and, and they came to Jabesh and, 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 and burned them there. And they took their bones and they buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. And so now in the end, we see that, that the men of Jabesh risked their very lives to provide a, a proper burial, an honorable burial for Saul. But we, we wonder why. Why did they risk their lives for that? Well, in a sense, because they felt like, like they owed him that. They owed him. Now, why do I say it? Well, do you remember when, when Saul first came into office? When Saul was first crowned, when he first became the king? Remember what happened back in chapter 11? Back in chapter 11, we're told that there was this town called Jabesh Gilead. In fact, it was like the lowliest town, the most despised out of, out of all of the nation of Israel. This was the one town that everybody else in Israel hated. And that this lowly despised town was being attacked and, and, and invaded by, by Nahash the Ammonite. And, and he was threatening to come in and gouge out the right eye of every man who lived in that town. But most of the nation of Israel was like, That's, we don't have a problem with that. We hate those guys. You know, it couldn't happen to a better group of people. Go ahead, invade them. Take all their eyes. We don't care. And yet, even though they were despised, even though they were rejected, Saul somehow manages to rally 330,000 soldiers to go in and rescue the people of Jabesh. And to this day, evidently, they had not forgotten what Saul did for them. So now they come and they, and, they, and, they, and they want to give him a proper burial. Now listen, the custom in that day is that it was customary to weep and to mourn, especially for, for a leader, it was, it, was, it was the custom to weep and mourn for seven straight days. And so in this case, in Saul's case, you know, bipolar or not, demonized or not, Saul was still their king, he was still their ruler, so they honor him. In fact, you could argue that the people were more honorable than their king. And in many ways, they, 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 they weren't honoring the man, they were honoring the title. They weren't honoring the man, they were honoring the position, honoring the authority, honoring the rank. But, but in the end, it, it's kind of sad, isn't it? Because in the end, we, we don't read of, of all the hundreds and thousands from all over the nation who are grieving and weeping and, and, you know, and, and, and they all come there to, to honor him because they loved him so much. No, it's just this lowly, despised little tribe and it seems that they were there more, more of a, a formality than anything else. You know, growing up in the 80s, there was a commercial, some of you may remember it on TV, where this guy standing before a, a firing squad as he's about to be shot, all of a sudden the executioner turns and says, what do you want on your tombstone? And he says, pepperoni and cheese. You know, but you know, when you think about it, when, when we die, when we come to the end, we, 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 we all want people to, to talk about all the good things that we did, right? Everything we've accomplished, all the good stuff that we've done. You know, but let me ask you this. You ever go to a funeral, you know, and, and you show up and they're talking about all the good things this person did, all the wonderful things they did, and, and, you, and you wonder, am I at the right funeral? 
I knew that guy. What are they, what are they talking about? Well, it, 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 at Saul's funeral, no one is talking about all the good things that Saul did. No one's talking about his accomplishments. No one's sharing stories of, of how he impacted and, and changed their lives. No, there's just this one lowly, rejected, despised tribe out of all the nation, just this one tribe, and, and, and they're paying tribute to Saul, but it seemed more like it was out of obligation than it was out of love. It's like they owed it to him, so they had to do it. That's why uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, a good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you. So carve your name on hearts and not on marble. And so, in the end, Saul died as he lived. He, he lived in rebellion, and he died in rebellion. It didn't have to be that way. Again, I keep saying, he had 15 years. 15 years to, to, to repent. 15 years to, 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 to get right with God. 15 years to, 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 to get his heart right with God. And yet, tragically, it doesn't even seem like Saul had so much as a deathbed conversion. You know, because in the end, in, in, in his final moments, you know, it seems that Saul was more concerned. He was more worried uh, about being tortured by the Philistines, being humiliated by the Philistines, than he was about the state of his own soul, than he was about his standing before God. So not even so much as a deathbed conversion. Now, when I say deathbed conversions, I can't help but to think of the thief on the cross. Remember in Luke's gospel, we, we read about, about the thief on the cross. Here's Jesus after being brutally tortured and, and, and nailed to a cross. We're told that there were two criminals next to Jesus, one on the right, one on the left, and, and, and Jesus in between. And, and, and the crowd starts mocking Jesus, and then these two criminals, they join in. Now, listen, you have to understand, these were like big-time criminals, okay? They weren't like, like guys out there just like, you know, stealing your catalytic converters off your car for, you know, for a meth deal. I mean, these were like big-time criminals who, 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 had, who had hurt people and, 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 and tortured people and probably murdered people to, to, to steal and get what they needed to get. That's why they were being cru crucified on, on these crosses. And so the crowd's mocking. They start joining in. and like, yeah, you know what? You saved others. Why don't you save yourself? And then we're told that Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And in that moment, one of these uh, thieves has a change of heart. He's convicted. And, and he turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. And in that moment, Jesus turned to him and said in Luke 23, verse 43, he says, I tell you the truth, this day you will be with me in paradise. Right there on the spot in that moment, he forgave that thief on the cross. But you have to know that that probably offended a few of the people that were there. Because more than likely in that crowd, there were probably some people who came there that day just to watch that guy get crucified. They'd probably been victimized by him and, and brutalized by him. Maybe someone they love was murdered by him and they came there that day just to see that guy get the justice that he deserved. And the last thing they wanted was for God to forgive him. Reminding us, that God said in, in, in Romans 9.15, I have mercy on whom, whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Listen, ultimately, <clears throat> every single one of us is going to have a final thought, a final meal, a, a final word, and a final decision. And yet, sadly, when, when, when Saul was faced with his final decision, he gave no thought toward God. It's been well said that, that you make your decisions and then your decisions make you. That was Saul. 
Over and over again, he made the decision to reject God, to reject God, and to reject God, and now his decisions have made him. You know, sometimes your, your last words are your most meaningful. Uh, for example, Joseph Stalin. Uh, you may be surprised to hear that Joseph Stalin actually went to seminary, a Christian seminary, and, 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 and he was flourishing until he got kicked out because of his radical Marxist views. So then he became an atheist, and, and, and on his deathbed, he shook his fist at God, and he cursed God with his last words. Then there's Gandhi, who near the end of his life, he confessed and said, my days are numbered, and, 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 and I'm not likely to live very long, perhaps a year or, or a little more. And for the first time in 50 years, I find myself in the slow of despond. All about me is darkness. I'm praying for light. And along with that, we have Saul's last words this morning, back in verse 4 where he turns to his armor bearer and he says, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. Now we contrast Saul's last words with the last words of the so-called thief on the cross, who simply said, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. Listen, the truth of the matter is that everyone, whether you're the king or a thief, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're raised in the church or you're a staunch atheist, every one of us will come to our end. Every one of us will, will have our final chapter because Ecclesiastes 9 verse 2 says, the same destiny awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. We all have an end. And so what's the lesson when we have this contrast between King Saul versus the thief on the cross? The lesson is simply this. The lesson is that your final decision doesn't have to be your worst decision. It can be your best decision. It can be your best decision. Listen, maybe like Saul, maybe, maybe you've lived a life of rejecting God and rebelling against God. Or maybe like the thief on the cross, you've hurt people. You've done some things that you're not proud of. Listen, literally, you can have a change of address. You can literally change your eternal destiny with your last final statement, with your last final decision. Just like the thief on the cross when he said, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. And he woke up and he was in paradise with the Lord. Now listen, sometimes we, we, we think, well, that, you know, that's never going to happen. That, that day's never going to come. I still have time. And we procrastinate. We, we, we put it off. Even Groucho Marx on his deathbed, he said, he turned to his wife and he said, die, my dear? Well, well, that's the last thing I'll ever do. And it was. It was the last thing he ever did. It's been said that, that God never promised tomorrow to our procrastination. We don't know if we have tomorrow. The, the, there's no guarantee we have tomorrow. The truth is, is we don't know when that day is going to come. That's why the Bible says today's the day. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And I can tell you this much. I can tell you that when you give your life to God, your ending can actually be a new beginning just like it was for the thief on the cross. He lived his whole life in crime, his whole life hurting people. But his end was a new beginning when after he said, Lord, remember me in your kingdom, he was with the Lord in paradise from that moment on. So Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that every one of us, we're all faced with the same thing, and that is life is brief. Time is short. So for Lord, those of us who have given our lives to you, Lord, those of us who have chosen you, help us to live each day fully for you. 
Because Lord, you have a plan for our life, a purpose for our life. And, and, and that plan, that purpose probably wasn't just for us just to enjoy the, the temporary things around us as much as it was to live for you. So help us, Lord, to seize that moment and make the most of the time that we have for the purpose you've given us. And Lord, for those in the room or online or those in our lives, Lord, that don't know you, and maybe, maybe you keep working on their lives, you keep giving them opportunity after opportunity, maybe like Saul, they keep putting it off, they keep rejecting it. Lord, we pray that, 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 that like the thief on the cross, they, they, they would be convicted, they would come to their senses. You'd get a hold of them. There'd be something in them that would, that would cry out and say, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. Have mercy on me. So Lord, for those that, that need you in their lives, we pray that, Lord, that, that you would turn them to you. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're here. And maybe this is the day that, that, that it's a decision day. It may or may not be your final decision, but it is a decision day. But the Bible says that, that today is the day of your salvation. You make your decisions and your decisions make you. Will you choose to reject him or choose to open your life to him and discover what his plan and his purpose is for you? If you need to make that decision, I just want to pray for you. Lord, I pray for that person. I pray that you would, you would, you would have mercy on them. That, 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 that they would turn their hearts to you like the thief on the cross. They'd say, Lord, remember me. And Lord, that you would turn to them and, 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 you, and you would change them, you would transform them and that you would give them a life of meaning and purpose. That you pray, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I give my life to you because you gave your life to me. And so I exchange this old life, I lay it down and I pick up your new life and I want to live it to the full. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.